Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on October 1st. We are on the very tail end, or we're into the beginning of, uh, of the fall, end of summer. The weather is starting to finally cool down, at least for some of us uh, in, in, in the desert environments. It's, it's cooling down a little bit. <laughs> it's starting to become a bit more bearable. I don't know about Rich. He's, he's probably still sweltering there in the humidity. Uh, but we are grateful to be with you again this week. Thank you so much for spending time with us, as we've always said. Um, by the way, this is just now just a couple of days after Hurricane Ian has hit Florida and massive amounts of devastation have hit. So let us start by asking you to be in prayer for the people down there and prayer for the rescue teams and, and, and immediate response teams going down there. Pray for the churches and the Christians down there that this would be an opportunity to serve the Lord and proclaim the gospel. May this be an opportunity to draw souls to Christ. Keep them in your prayers. And for everybody who wants to get into the, uh, well, serves DeSantis right, or, you know, those people in Florida were terrible people, so therefore, you know what? Hush your mouth. That's just all I'm going to say. Hush your mouth. You can have your politics later. It includes you, Miss Vice President, who want to, wants uh, all the relief efforts to be done with equity. Put Shelve your politics for now. Help those in need. So if you're going to do that, I don't want to hear from you rest of you be praying and where you can be helping and proclaiming the gospel because this is a reminder that God is in control of all things and uh, nothing escapes his his awareness nothing escapes his control even hurricane Ian so be in prayer for all of that I want to remind you we are part of the Christian podcast community you know we have said this before please check out those programs go to the, you know just Type in your Google search engine or DuckDuckGo or whatever you use these days and just uh, Christian Podcast Community. Go, or you can go to strivingforeternity.org and you follow the links there. And uh, you will find a wealth of fantastic podcasting uh, programs and material so you will always be edified. Share those. Look into them. Share them with your friends family. Make use of them. And when you get a chance, if you listen to something other than this program... Let the people know who do those programs that you've listened and that you appreciate the uh, the work that they do because it's always great to hear back from your listeners. And if you haven't done that lately, do that for them. That that would be a greatly appreciated, I can tell you. Uh, remember, slavetothekeng.com. That is our website. As I said last time, thank you for the listener who did make us aware that the website had gone down. We hadn't been told. And uh, they got that up in record time. So uh, if you run into issues with the website, please let us know. But that's how you uh, can reach us. That's how you can get in touch with us. That's how you can get signed up to follow updates on the site. So thank you so much for being a part of this program. Thank you for those who continue to contribute in some way, whether it's through your encouragement, through your prayers. Some of you contribute financially, which is beyond amazing and some of you have gone so far as to you know go to the the website find the link and, and do things like buy a shirt to promote the program so you guys are fantastic thank you for doing that and uh we're going to continue to try and, and and make it through the rest of this year continue to put out as much good content as we can however do remember that the holidays are coming up and so there may be some it's a little bit of shift here and there uh, as we we get closer to the end of the year uh, you, just like you, we're going to spend time with our families, but we will do as much as we can to keep putting out good content for you guys. If you want to hear things that are helpful to you, like last week, um, 
get a hold of us. Shoot us an email, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you have something that you want to hear about, try not to make them all about what's the latest buzz on the internet, though, okay? We did a lot of that during the summer. We're going to try and tailor that back a little bit. Um, just because there's so much meat in the Word of God, we don't have to chase headlines. But uh, anything that you guys would love to hear about, we'd love to hear from you. So, okay, got through my uh, regular routine, got that through it in just a few minutes. So I'm, I'm getting better at keeping that time short. Uh, thank you for, for bearing with it. Rich, how you doing this week, brother? Brother, as always, I, I try to reply to you each week. I'm better than I deserve. And, you know, we, we all need to grow in grace and love and understanding and spend time in the scriptures and truly, truly dig into what God's word has to say, especially in times like now that we're living in with so much seemingly chaos going on. But brother, you shared a thread the other day and it resonated with me. Some of the things that you wrote and I got to thinking about it and I suggested to you that we just take that thread and use it as tonight's top but I didn't expect what happened when I started researching the scriptures as they applied to what you wrote and verses I've read and studied over the years suddenly came alive and hit me like a lightning bolt. And I think that sometimes where we need to remember we have every time we go back and reread or restudy, you know, something new is revealed to us through God's word. And this one this week really hit me, hit me hard. I mean, it was like a lightning bolt upside my head and, some aspects and I spent a good portion of the week reading the scripture and listening to and reading sermons and commentaries from basically the forming of the from the birth of the reformation through now and there was there's there will be a reason I'll explain later why I covered such a wide time gap but going from Knox to Calvin Spurgeon Matthew Henry Martin Lloyd Jones R.C. Sproul and John McCarthy yes I know been some hefty meals in the last few days, but you know, throughout the different ages of society, each one of these men, you know, they they had to wrestle with scriptural issues under different governing authorities, and you know, over the course of over 500 years, regardless of whether they were at the beginning of the Reformation or what era under the Church of England or America, one thing jumped out to me, and they all taught and shared and proclaimed the same truths that Scripture teaches us that applies to us today. And one thing I want to point out before we get any farther in this show, everything that I say tonight, I apply to myself first. Because in preparation for tonight's show, I've been convicted of my own sin more than any other episode Chris and I have recorded. And when I make some comments, I've spent the week saying, ouch, and dealing with my own bruises. So don't think I'm focusing comments on any one individual other than myself. Because for me, tonight's episode is really personal because I'm still working my way through some of these things, and I have been praying and and repenting and asking the Lord to help me and grow in understanding. And like I said, the first ouch I dealt was to myself. And I just pray and hope that tonight's conversation will help some of you grow in understanding and truth 
like it has helped myself. And I think some things I've shared with Chris probably have impacted and helped him some as well. So, brother, why don't you kick us off by sharing what you wrote the other day that's led us down this particular path this week? Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and brother, um, I just want to put a little transparency. Rich did a lot more work than I think than I did on this, um, only because I was I figured you know this is what we wrote what I wrote and we would talk through it. But uh, Rich, to his credit, has always this is something y'all just don't understand. Rich is like the research machine for Voice of Reason Radio. <laughs> so what I may not always have opportunity to do because of work and family and, and rich has family responsibilities. I'm not saying he, he, he's uh, got any less responsibility, but what I can't often get to rich this, when he, what he does here, you guys do not see it. Okay. You do not see the sheer volume of stuff he sends me at times. So if there is a research arm of voice reason radio, it's rich. And I cannot express how, how grateful I am especially when he does work like he did this week. So um, if we sound intelligent, you can you can thank Rich. Uh, I, I, I just show up. So <laughs> um, so anyway, what I did this uh, this last week, what I had posted was some thoughts of my own with regard to how I have been trying to reconcile um, what, how, what is the Christian's involvement in the culture wars? Because we see a lot of it going on, and there are things that I I, I agree with I see doing, and there are things I, I find myself questioning. Should we be doing, or should we be involved in these things? Nothing that I wrote is the, you know, the final answer, the final nail in the coffin. To, uh, this is was written with the intent of trying to spark as much thought biblical thought as we can muster on this issue because Richard and you and I will talk about some of this there has been a I, I think a tendency as we see this as Christians we've kind of come together on certain things and we've recognized these are threats to the foundation of the church these are threats to the the practice of the church this change in the culture this cultural shift this post-christian culture is not good for the nation. It is not good for the people. It is certainly not good for what's going to come in at the church. And there's been a, a uniting of efforts. And I, th I think there's been some good things in that. But there's also been a, a, a tendency to kind of, hey, we're going to fight you know, tooth and nail, fist to fist, and almost a sense of a, the, the possibility of falling into the ditch of being as what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to be, I don't want to make, uh, you know, I don't want to make bad uh, suggestions about motivations, but almost where we could fall into the ditch of being just as guilty as the other side of using the scriptures in a, in a way that we're going to, hey, we're going to establish our reign and rule kind of thing. And um, I'm not saying that everybody's doing that. I just see it as a possibility and a possible ditch that we are, we could fall into and we may be leaning in that direction in some cases. So this is what I wrote. And hopefully you'll understand what I'm getting at as we go, as I read this. And and I'll post the link to it. It's it's on there. Uh, my hope is to maybe share it once in a while to to remind people of where I believe our, our, our loyalties and authority lie in this fight. And um, hopefully you'll understand that what I'm doing is not saying we get out of it, we don't have any fight whatsoever. 
but that, that there has to be a proper motivation and methodology to what we do. So this is what I wrote. I said, lately I've been trying to reconcile where I should stand in the temporal cultural temporal culture wars, and yet recognizing Christ's kingdom is not of this world. The clear and primary calling of Christians is to make disciples of every nation, preaching the gospel and calling on those uh, disciples to obey all that Jesus uh, commanded us, commanded of us. Within that command is the understanding that Christ's people are to be students of his word, to seek his, first his kingdom, to be laser focused on eternal spiritual truths, to glorify him for, for his salvation, redemption, and sanctification of us, and the rest in the joy of his eternal promises. We are not to be sidetracked by the things of this world and to be entangled in civilian, civilian pursuits, rather being soldiers of Christ in a spiritual battle. We will endure difficulties, trials, tribulations, and persecution for Christ's sake. Because of those precious eternal promises, we have that joy that carries us through the worst this world has to offer. That is our command. Those are our marching orders. Yet, while we live in this world, we are to live in such a way that the world sees that we are devoted servants of the Most High. This means how we live, talk, think, and act will rightly reflect the one whom we follow. In some nations, that means we'll never have a voice in the culture. We are the outcasts, those trodden upon, hated, and persecuted in the fullest extent. In others, such as here in America, while we may be hated, we yet have a voice, however diminishing it may be. As such, we, while we have the ability, we must stand for Christ in all areas, even in our political influences. Every vote I cast, every candidate I endorse, every law I stump for, every single area of, our, of cultural influence I exert must be wholly and completely based in Scripture. While there are no perfect candidates and every law will fall, uh, fail in some manner, I must seek to exert my civic duty in such a fashion as I am seeking to bring God's word into the public arena. I am not meaning establishing a theocratic or theonomic system of government. I am only saying that my entire basis for the voice I use and the means of self-governing I employ must reflect the word of God, just as anything else I, I do in life should be so reflective. I must be willing to speak out against uh, the world when it seeks to make virtue what God calls sin. I must not be afraid to call for the abolition of that which is an affront and an abomination before God, not because I believe that establishing biblical laws will make people morally acceptable to God, but because I believe from his word that God judges a people who live in such utter rebellion to him. I do all this knowing that even if my nation was to turn on its heel from embracing sins as a virtue, the establishment of such a government and culture is only one generation of away, away from, be, from a pig returning to the mire. No such culture can last without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. Thus, even in living out my Christian faith in warring against cultural affirmation of celebration of sin, my goal is not the establishment of a perfect culture. In, in the, it is the glorification of God in calling out sin, preaching repentance and faith in Christ, that God may save his people come from condemnation. Yes, we war against that which the world celebrates because it is rebellion against our sovereign Lord. Yet we war because we love God, love his word, and desire sinners to be saved. So even in uh, when, not if, our efforts in this world may fail, we have joy in Christ alone because we know his promises are sure. 
That's where I fall these days. Fight for the truth, not to win in the here and now, but to glorify Christ in eternity. That was the thread that I posted. And I hope what you understand that I, and what I have said in this is that I'm not saying, well, we don't do anything. We don't need to fight. You know, Christ's kingdom is not of this world, so we don't have to say we just need to preach the gospel and make and make disciples and just let the culture go, you know, down the drain. I'm not saying that. What I am saying though is that there is a motivation and a methodology that is so extremely important, and it's a recognition that historically, even scripturally, we will see that even if a nation is established on the very foundation of the Word of God. I mean, the most perfect example of that is the, is the nation of Israel in history. It was established entirely upon God's law. And we see repeatedly, generation after generation, because you are not born as a Jew or as a Christian, you must be born again. Every generation, within one, two, three generations, the nation of Israel would fall into idolatry and sin. So even okay. if I were able to establish a Christian nation, I run into the same issue. So it's not that I want to create a perfect culture or perfect nation. It's that as a reflection of my desire to promote, proclaim the word of God in all areas of my life, the, whatever fight we engage in, in the cultural warfare, is for the glorification of God and the proclamation of the gospel. Rich, I, I think I may have just stepped on you there. Go ahead. No, that's fine. I was. I probably should have <laughs> sent you a message to let you know, but we're not going to dig deep into everything Chris posted, but there's a couple of points that we want to highlight. Um, what I'm going to say now is not the focal point of this discussion. It's just something I want to point out, that we need to remember what separates a Christian from secular conservatives. It's not our political viewpoints. And Chris nailed it at the beginning of his post. It's what Christ said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Christ said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The key word being of, O-L, of all nations, not make disciples of all the nations, but make disciples from all the nations of the earth baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, and I know you know, Chris and I had a discussion in pre-show when it comes to making disciples. And when someone uses the phrase, make disciples, as with everything else in today's world, different in today's world, different words mean different things to different people. So first thing you need to do is ask them what they mean by make disciples. Because in my viewpoint, there's a difference between evangelism and discipleship. Some people, the way they define it, it's merged together. But from my viewpoint, and I think the New Testament best as a whole defines what is meant by making disciples, it's from the it, make a disciple is from the is a result from the proclamation of the gospel, and the disciples, the apostles, Paul, Peter, all of them, they were sent to teach, and they were not sent to teach the nations to be moral, but they were sent to see lost souls reconciled to Christ, and that is what the ministry of reconciliation is all about. It's about salvation and the 
eternal state of man, not creating a moral country that attempts in its flesh to live by the law of God, because we're no longer under the law of God. Once we're saved, we're under the grace of Christ. The Old Testament is law. The New Testament is grace. I've heard, I don't remember who it was, someone put it like that. But the Old Testament is a signpost directing us to Christ. And that's one of the things that separates true Christianity by faith and faith alone through Christ alone, what separates biblical Christianity from so many other religions. They're all, I must, I have to, I must work. I must work to maintain my salvation, but true biblical Christianity understands it's all through the work of Christ being indwelt by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's something we need to make sure we remember that as we go forward, there's a huge difference between wanting to see a country morally aligned with Scripture and abiding by the law of God versus wanting to see souls inwardly changed by the regeneration of the Word and through Christ, if that makes sense, bro. No, absolutely. And I think that was the thing that when I when I wrote the post, that was the issue for me that was the most pressing, is the why and the how. Primar- primarily the why. And I know uh, for yourself, one of the things that you looked into is, is the other half of that is the how. You know, where I struggled with the culture wars was why were we doing what we were doing? Um, one of the persons who responded to me in this, and uh, I'm going to find it so I can um, say it correctly. He said, just because his kingdom, meaning Jesus, his kingdom is not of this world, doesn't mean it can't reign in this world. I get what he's driving at. You know, um, there are a lot of people who They'll say things like, all governments are God's governments. And that uh, I think it was Tom Askell who so poignantly put it, government needs to stay in its lane. In other words, God has instituted government and it has a specific duty. And so there are those who believe that because the governments are God's governments and he has instituted government, that it is the Christian and the church's duty to ensure not that just government stays in its lane, which I believe Tom Askell is very correct. I think we need to remind the government, this is the, the, the role that you're trying to get in the middle of is the church's role. You have no business here. Get back in your lane. And I think Tom Askell said that correctly. There are those, however, I, and I don't wish to mis- misrepresent, and I, I suspect that because I am not well-versed in and things like the uh, theonomy and, and many of the, although I've got a huge book sitting on my shelf, I need to read one of these days. I want to be cautious to say if I misrepresent something, please understand it's not, I'm not trying to caricaturize you, make a straw man. I'm just trying to understand, I'm trying to present it as I have seen it presented online in discussions. So if I, if I say something incorrectly, I will take accountability for saying it incorrectly. Please understand I'm trying to articulate what I see you guys saying. There are some that seem to say, well, because all governments are God governments, and God is, uh, institutes government, and government has a lane, therefore it is the church's responsibility to ensure that government is established and founded upon the laws of God, and therefore enforcing the laws of God. And all, go- all governments should therefore be Christian governments, and they should be doing 
XYZ with regard to how the government is ordained. And I think there is a very big risk there because, as I said in the thread, and Rich, you and I talked about this um, during pre-show, is that there is a ditch in my belief, and, and what I was concerned about when I wrote the thread, was that this idea of we are trying to establish and create a Christian culture slash government, therefore we must do all these things. It, it, it's, it's almost as if, and I want to be, again, I'm trying to be careful because I understand some people, there were, I think Rich shared a shred thread with me that maybe clarified this a little bit better, but there were those who were saying, we must tell people they have to be obey God's law, whether they consider God their Lord, uh, Jesus their Lord and Savior or not. There, these laws must be enforced, and the, you know it is it is the Christian Church's responsibility to make sure the government is doing that. I think there are some who have, I believe, a a a well intentioned view of this, which is, and again, this goes back to one of the threads that I read and the, one of the persons who interacted with me that in the establishment of Christian law, so to speak, that use of the law in that way is not only a good way to run the government, but it is also po pointing out to the culture that lives under it, this is God's law, you are rebelling against it, you must turn to Christ. So I believe there is a, there are those who seek to do it and are well-intentioned. So I hope I have not misrepresented that, but that is how I've seen it being presented. My issue with that is what is then the focus? It is then the focus of saying, we need to create a Christian government. And if we create a Christian government, we can reverse the issues of the culture as it is now. And we can put the perversion back uh, back where it belongs and and, and, p and people not be able to celebrate it. We can stop the murder of babies. We can do these things, right? In and of itself, that doesn't sound like a horrible thing. I'm not, And I'm not saying that it would be a bad thing if the laws of, say, America came into alignment with the scriptures and did what God has commanded us to do. The issue is that, as I said in my thread, we're one generation from a pig returning to the mire, of dog returning to its vomit. Why? Because when you are born physically into this world, you are not a believer of Jesus Christ. So as you produce another generation, and we see this not only historically, but biblically, we see each generation, one, two, three, four generations down the road, turning from the very God that the, they whose laws govern their nation, how quickly they turn. So my thread was a hope to maybe kind of be a counterbalance to the idea that it's just about creating a Christian nation, which is how I see some people acting. I'm not saying that's their motivation. I'm not trying to declare that that's, this is all you're trying to do. I'm just saying there's a ditch there. And so for me, the balance to that is why? Why am I even engaging the culture at all? Because I love Jesus Christ. I love his word. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to see people saved. And I will do that whether the culture is redeemed and, 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 and follows a biblical ideology 
or the culture goes into complete trash, I'm still doing the same thing. Does that make sense, Rich? Well, absolutely, brother. And I think sometimes, whether people realize it or not, we have to remember, and I, I, I've been probably guilty of this at times myself, and I see it maybe not necessarily in people's motives, and I think sometimes they're purveying this message without meaning to, but we have to remember America has not replaced the nation of Israel. America is not God's chosen people, God's chosen race. And one distinction in the Old Testament versus Israel versus, say, America, is that the prophets would call upon the people to turn back to God. In America, you've got more people that's never really turned to God to begin with. Now, we have been blessed to live in a country that's based on Judeo-Christian laws, values, and morals, but as the generations have changed from one to the next, and culture has not only taken over the country and society, but sadly it has infected the churches, and the church, going back probably to the 50s and 60s, when I see the really the downgrade and the slippery slope really started, instead of keeping the church doors closed and making an impact on the country by proclaiming the gospel through pragmatism and church growth movements and all of this, the church opened the doors and invited society and culture into the church, which is against what Scripture commands us. But I'm kind of digressing a little bit here, but as Christians, we have to remember and I think this is this starts getting into the meat of what we're probably going to discuss. But to me, and like you were kind of alluding to, the, the question really isn't, as Christians living in America, can we fight for liberty, justice, and freedom, and, you know, the Constitution? But the real question is, how do we engage the culture? How do we engage the government in combating the depravity we see, how do we engage all these different angles while honoring and obeying Christ and fulfilling what Christ has called us to do in his word? Um, you know, we have rights as an American, but we have a higher calling and a higher duty to Christ. That trumps anything in our Constitution, anything in our Bill of Rights. And if, if tomorrow the government said, okay, we're going to come in and seize all your guns. You have to turn them over or you're going to jail. That would be a command not going against anything the Bible teaches. In order to honor Christ, the, the biblical Christian thing to do would be hand them over and, and submit to that authority. People, and this, the, these questions and this discussion is nothing new. Ever since as far back as I could read and research, this has been an age-old question. How do Christians respond to the government? And that's been a question posed not only under, for Americans living in the United States, but every culture, every government since the New Testament. How should Christians behave in a society? How should Christians view the government? How should we respond to the government? And I've seen some well-meaning brothers and sisters use Paul as an example that, well, he, he was a citizen of Rome, and he often appealed to his citizenship 
you know, in, in different scenarios and different situations. But I'd like to point out, while he did use his Roman citizenship, he did it in a way that never disobeyed or dishonored the word of God. He never criticized or spoke out against the emperor or governors over colonies. Even when he was brought before the council, the Jewish council, and this is in Acts 23, 1 through 5, it reads, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. That right there, Paul obviously did not realize that Ananias was the, was the high priest or still the high priest. But when they pointed that out, Paul didn't argue. He didn't debate. He didn't revile, which reviling is arguing and debating. Paul did none of these things. He, he, after he responded, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He was quoting another portion of the law of the writings he grew up under and they grew up under in scripture even though he pointed out they were in violation of god's law he still submitted to that authority because he ne he didn't take that discussion any further but that's something a lot of times we look at the scriptures and say well paul used his roman citizenship but the key thing to remember yes he did but he never did it in a way that violated the word of God that caused the Gentiles to blaspheme God. He honored Christ in his behavior and in his words, as well as his actions, if that makes sense, brother. Absolutely. I, I would say, I mean, there's, there's a place for calling out sinful behavior on the part of government, sinful behavior on the part of politicians, sinful behavior on the part of culture, and there can be times when we are using firm language, that we are steadfast and, and uh, immovable, and calling sin the abomination that it is. There is a place for that, and there is a time for that, where, as you said, in our, in, in our engagement with the culture, however, we are to reflect Christ. Now, Christ you know, referred to the religious leaders as whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Is, so therefore we can do that, right? In the right environment, in the right uh, circumstances. Certainly, if it's appropriate to, uh, to the culture. And there, for example, you have people now, Gavin Newsom, who is trying to use the scriptures to say that abortion, having legal abortion, the murder of infant children in the womb, and making that legal and celebrating it is loving one's neighbor. He is using biblical language. John MacArthur publicly rebuked him, called him out for it. Okay? There is a time and a place where we do that. And, hey, brother. Yes. 
I would like to add, um, I read through that letter several times. We'll cover that a little bit deeper later on. But not only did Pastor John MacArthur call him out, but he pointed out what Scripture actually teaches, Mm -hmm. what it actually states, the actual truth in Scripture, then proclaimed the biblical way of salvation to him. He is, that letter is the perfect example for every Christian to read and to follow when it comes to engaging the culture and politicians. And I'm sorry to have interrupted you. No, 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 totally. Add that there for a moment, but go ahead. Yeah, no, that's totally fine. And I think that emphasizes the point that you were making. Strong language, firm language, biblical language. Well, Jesus overturned tables. Yes, he did. You, you know, you'll not, you're, you've turned, you know, my father's house into, a, you know, a, a, a den of uh, thieves. They were, as MacArthur himself said, they were selling salvation they were making money they were cheating people out of you know exchange rates and stuff and oh you this lamb isn't good enough here you have to buy this lamb but you need the temple shekels so you go over there and it was all you know highway robbery going on and so he turns over the tables why because the issue was the temple what it was it was his father's houses where people came to to make their sacrifices to to in faith you know, in obedience to God, make their sacrifices and their petitions made known to him. It was a house of prayer. They turned it into a, a place uh, to make money. So there was a set of circumstances that surrounded what they were doing, but it was a purification of the temple. So when we are dealing with this engagement of the culture, and we're talking about standing firm and calling on the government and demanding that the government turn from making laws that are an abomination before the Lord and calling upon the government to establish laws that honor God. We can do that, but we've got to do it in such a way that our primary desire is the glorification of God and the opportunity, as MacArthur did in this letter, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the way of salvation. Why? Because that is our chief goal. We can do. We can try to be engaged in a cult and, and create a culture, or call the culture to a a a, a a a a way of living that is not a direct in your face to God, where we're saying we're just going to tear you off your throne, God, which is what is happening in America right now. You have people who are actually calling for violence against Christians, violence against people who are politically conservative, because how dare you oppose us? How dare you try to tell us these sinful things are are sins and that they're not the virtues that we want them to be? We can engage that. But what what is in view? The discipleship of the nations, making disciples of every nation, as you said, Rich, and preaching the gospel with a, with the intent of proclaiming, you know, calling people out of that life, that they might be find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Even if I and even if the result of that, the net result of that, is that the government then begins those within government, Christians run for government, laws that are reflective of Christian belief. Even if that begins to establish, that's not my chief end. 
because Christ himself said that my kingdom is not of this world. It's not that we don't fight for these things and we don't want to see them publicly. Uh, you know, We don't want to see a public acceptance and establishment of things that honor God. But it's rather that if my chief end is the discipleship, and if it's the making of uh, making evangelizing and ma- having people come to Christ and discipling him in, in the word, and the byproduct of that, as I engage the culture with the gospel, as I engage a culture with scripture, is that the culture begins to change. Praise God for that. If Christians who uh, are, you know, desperate, you know, desperately want to honor God and want to do so in the public arena, and they do so because they run for office or because they engage in supporting people who most are most closely aligned with what biblical truth is in government, and you want to engage in that, great, but what is your chief end? Is it the proclamation of the gospel? Is it making disciples of all nations? Because that's what you've been called to do. Those are your marching orders, then great. If it's, we're going to establish a Christian nation, well, you don't have a Christian nation apart from Christians. And you don't have Christians apart from the proclamation of the gospel. And you don't have the proclamation of the gospel apart from the word of God. All of this goes back to what we are supposed to be, which are people devoted to serving the Lord, and everything I do flows out of that. Does that make sense, Rich? Absolutely, brother. Um People may pick up on the fact that you and I are coming from a little bit, a couple of different angles at this. Um, Chris and I are not necessarily as different on this as you might, it may sound in some aspects, but backtracking just a little bit what you were saying about Christ overturning the tables and, and calling out the religious leaders. One thing, too, that we need to keep in its proper context, Christ never called upon the people to revolt against the emperor. He didn't protest the Roman soldiers extorting money from the Israelites. He never addressed the fact that the tax collectors were taking bribes and overtaxing people so they could put money in their pocket. Anytime he rebuked those, those others around him, it was always geared towards either the religious leaders who were mishandling, mistreating, and blaspheming the Word of God by their actions, or it was towards the Israelites around him who did not understand and see the fact that he was the promised Messiah. He was not doing these things and rebuking towards the government. It was towards the religious leaders. It was towards those who were twisting Scripture for their own ends and for their own means and for their own good. And I think that's a, a context in this. We need to remember as we engage both the culture and government, the John MacArthur letter is a prime example because Newsom, like you said, was twisting scripture in a way to try to call good evil and evil good in a manner of speaking by trying to justify abortion. And John MacArthur's letter addressed these issues. And that, uh, to me, that's more in the biblical context with what Christ did versus just berating the liberals or Obama, not Obama, he's still on my mind, or Biden or Pelosi or, or any of these Democrat leaders that, that we've coming to just basically disgust us. But I, I think that's the contrast. 
in the show notes, and I need to go ahead and mention this before I forget, in the show notes, there are quite a number of links. Of course, in the time that Chris and I have together in this podcast, we can't go deep into all these different issues. I would encourage the listeners to listen, if nothing else, listen to the part one and part two by John MacArthur on Christians living in a pagan society. Those two sermons would, would probably is a probably a really good summary of all the other links. And there's another link from another series by Pastor MacArthur, um, Christian's Response to Government, I think is the title of it, but it's actually a four-part. The first part's the only link listed, but you can find easily how to get to the other portions of that series. And the four-part series was originally done, I think, in, in 1983 or 1985, and the second part was in, I think, 1993. And things he said in both of those series, sermon series, were almost prophetic to what we see going on around us today in culture and how Christians are responding to the quote-unquote culture wars. And I think those would be some really great resources for our listeners to read and go through um, the sermon transcripts there if you'd prefer to read it or the audios there if you would prefer to listen to it. Um, another great one in the links is a sermon by Martin Lloyd-Jones on Romans. And I forget which, I'm sorry, I forget. My mind went completely blank. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Uh, the Martin I think Lloyd it was Jones, Romans. Romans 13, 1 through 7, I think is the link you yeah. sent me, brother. Yeah, that it it's beyond good. And keep in mind, most of Martin Lloyd Jones sermons that are on the MLJ Trust free app, you know, he was around like during the fifties, sixties, seventies, and then we jumped forward another twenty or thirty years to a lot of the John MacArthur teachings. You know, they they lived in two different countries under two different ages. But the truth of Scripture never changes, just like I said earlier in the show, going back to Spurgeon and Knox and Calvin and so many others. And regardless of what form of government they lived under and what was going on, the response and the command to Christians were all the same. This is a snippet from one of the John MacArthur sermons I'd like to share that he he, he, he had in one of those series. I think it was the... Christians and government series, but he wrote, or he stated, a testimony from the Soviet Union. I will never forget a conversation I had with Georgie Vins, and if I mispronounced that, please forgive me. Anyway, that was me saying that, not John McCarthy. Anyway, (laughs) he's a Christian who lived for many years in the Soviet Union. He met with our staff one day, and we asked him what it was like to live under tyranny and repression in a communist country. Um, I know for a lot of our listeners that are quite a bit younger than you and I, Chris, this may be a little foreign to them unless they've studied history and understand the tyranny and how bad communist Russia was and how it actually was living under that repression of the Soviet Union. But he met with our staff one day and we asked him what it was like to live under tyranny and repression in a communist country. He told us that Christians can't pursue an education or a career. They have to say they have no say in the government and no freedoms to speak. 
Okay, let me repeat that. They have no say-so in the government and no freedoms to speak of. This question was then posed to him. How do you respond to that kind of government? He said, we obey every law in our nation, whether it appears to be to us, whether it appears to us to be just or unjust, except when we are told that we cannot worship God or obey the scripture. But if we are persecuted, put into prison or killed, it will be a result of our faith in Jesus Christ, not because we violated some law in our nation. That is relatively, you know, soon. It's not, that was not, that did not occur very long ago. This was during the fall of the Soviet Union, the 80s and 90s era, running there. So we need to keep that in mind mm -hmm. that, you know, it was that recent. And John MacArthur went on to say, in Romans 13, 1 through 7, Paul is saying the same thing Peter did. We have a serious responsibility to live out our justification by faith, our self-sacrifice to the Lord, Romans 12, 1 through 2, should make us model citizens of our nation. We should not be known as protesters, as those who criticize and demean people in authority. We should speak against sin, injustice, evil, and immorality fearlessly and without hesitation, but we should give honor to those who are in authority over us. That is the biblical pattern for every age, every nation, and every Christian. It has nothing to do with America alone. Now, that gets a little bit deeper into where we're going in this conversation. And that gentleman from the Soviet Union and what Pastor MacArthur is saying is getting down to Okay, it's not, can we fight for liberty, but how do we do it? How do we honor Christ while standing up for our rights? If we're to be persecuted, are we being persecuted for disobeying a law, or are we being persecuted for honoring Christ because we're disobeying a law? The whole COVID thing is a really good example because the government wanted and was commanding, you can't gather together as a church. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people had trouble understanding how Christians could disobey that and honor Christ and honor the authorities at the same time. It all goes back to, we honor government. We honor the authorities put over us until they command us to do something that goes against what God has decreed. If the government came and said, you must have an abortion. If, as, if you were, are a Christian business owner, if the government came in and said, you have to hire a homosexual, you have to do this, you have to do that, if it goes against what God has commanded and what God tells us, then we can refuse. But even in that refusal, we must obey Christ and honor him even while going through the process of refusing what the government commands. As a Christian business owner, if the government said, okay, either you hire a homosexual or we're going or we're are going to close you down. As a Christian business owner, the biblical response would be, I'm not going to hire this person because this is what scripture teaches, this is what scripture commands, this is the word of God, this is his way of salvation. 
after that, if they close you, they close you. If they put you in jail, they put you in jail. At no point in scriptures does it allow or give us liberty to take up arms, start fighting, physically fighting, or bad-mouthing the government or bad-mouthing those that are coming in to lock us up or drag us away. I know that goes completely against what we see going on today, but as we get a little bit deeper into this, that is exactly how we are to respond as Christians. Would you want to add to that, brother? Yeah, absolutely. And I think everything he said is absolutely spot on. The flip side is I know some people are saying, well, none of us are saying take up arms and, and start a revolution. However, we are saying the Christians need to, you know, like reform the government and we have to con uh, bring the government under biblical um, constraints. And there's a place for that. There's a way to engage that that still does, as Rich is saying, we're honoring Christ. So let's say you... Uh, your, your Christian business is specifically like you are a, a, a Christian printing house, okay? You, you, you print religious materials. And so the, the government has said, hey, you know, here's the Equal Opportunity Office. You're denying people to work for you that have different views or who are, uh, you're discriminating against them because of their sexual, uh, you know, uh, their sexual identity. You have to either hire this person or you're going to face penalties and fines, etc. Can we fight that? Absolutely. How do we fight that? That's it. That's what's in view. We can take it to the courts. And some of these businesses have done just that and have won. We can then go to our representatives and say, these laws have to be changed. Why? Because as a Christian, number one, your the very founding document that governs what you do says that you have to protect my right. It's not that you grant rights. It's that you are constrained to protect my rights so we can we can petition government we can be engaged in the self-governing process through elections and representatives through getting engaged in government ourselves why so that that christian printing house can continue to do the work that it does in pre pre uh, preparing and sending out religious materials for the proclamation of the gospel and the discipleship of believers discipleship I'm stumbling over my words, excuse me, discipleship of believers. So why, why did we do that? So that we could establish a Christian government or so that the Christian entity could continue to proclaim the gospel. And that's that's what I was you know pointing out, Rich, when, when we wrote when I wrote this. And I think there were some people that genuinely felt like this makes sense to me. This is this is why I engage. So you can be engaged and fighting against through lawsuit against the, the, the states, through uh, petitioning and, and seeking redress. You can even have the right to public, uh, public pro protest done peacefully so, uh, and certainly not setting yourself up to get arrested. L leave that for some people to think about. Uh, don't 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 step, get yourself arrested intentionally so you can be a uh, a martyr on YouTube. Um, just like there are street evangelists, street screechers, who will in purposely pr uh, provoke an arrest and then they say, "Oh, look, I was arrested and persecuted." Don't do that. But you can be engaged in all of those things 
in, in within the boundaries of Romans 13 because we we have this unique experiment that's pretty much almost over. It's the Constitution is almost completely shredded at this point, but while it's still there, we we have the ability for public redress, for public protestation, for engagement in the civil process. We can engage in certain levels of civil disobedience, as Rich pointed out with the um, with the COVID issue. Many, you know, when the thing first started, hey, even we said, look, if a, ch- a church chooses to close down and they're doing so because this is their, they believe this is protecting people and protecting their congregation and loving others, don't be hammering on them. But over time, and Rich asked the question right at the beginning, how long is too long? Where's that line? Took about five minutes after we posted those episodes to figure that out. <laughs> um, it didn't take very long at all to figure it out. Especially, I think the very first riot rather proved that it was useless. But what did we see then happen? Churches that engaged in civil disobedience. Uh, Grace Community Church in California. Pastors in, uh, in Canada. What was the result of that? People continued to meet, continued to defy, and... In some cases, massive fines or arrests, uh, property seizure. Did they stop? No. They just moved their location and continued to gather elsewhere. So that realm of civil disobedience is acceptable because, as the apostles had said to the Sanhedrin, whether it is right for uh, us to obey God or men, you decide, but as for us, we will obey the Lord. Are there level areas of civil disobedience that is, if, if a Christian private school is told you will have drag queen story hour or we will shut your church or your school down? You don't have drag queen story hour. You you can have parents out there if you wish doing a a, a peaceful proper protest. You can do those things. You can petition the courts through uh, lawsuit. You can petition. The uh, you know the civil magistrates you can engage in those things. Why? What is the chief end? Is it so that we can get the laws on our side and make everything the way we want it, or is it because we as the church care about the proclamation of the gospel, the raising up of of children in with Christian education, the proclamation of the gospel in the churches, and and as uh, we we see in and we'll put that letter link if you haven't read it. Uh, from Governor to the open letter to Governor Newsom, um, we'll put that in show links. What what was his chief end in that letter? As Rich said, and I and, and I I have looked at it to pro- proclaim the gospel to a civil to a civil magistrate. In this case, the state governor, who is unjustly and rebelliously running his state in a manner which is defying God at every turn. Is it so he can say, was, was what John MacArthur did to try to establish a Christian rule in California? No, it was that you as the leader of this state that have been elected in this position, you are under God's judgment. You are under his authority. This is what he expects of you. This is what you have done. Therefore, repent. So he made public redress. He made public protest for the specific point of proclaiming the gospel. And that was posted everywhere. Why? Not only so that Governor Newsom would see it, but every person who heard about this and looked at it in the news heard the gospel's proclamation. So 
the point and I wanted to get at in all this, Rich, is you're absolutely right. How we go about this and the why of we go about this must be rooted and grounded in what am I seeking to do? What am I seeking to accomplish? And how do I do that? It should be for the glorification of Jesus Christ and the proclaiming of his gospel message. So, yeah, we don't take up arms. We don't get into, you know, I think there are some Christians that are, Oh no! You, 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 we, 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 you know, we need to go back to the days of, uh, you know, the churches that supported the the American Revolution. I've seen some of you guys out there, um, kind of pushing that agenda, or at least pushing the boundaries of that agenda. Um, and I would say that's not what we're called to, but we can engage the culture. We should engage the culture, and we should do so. In such a way, as you're pointing out, Rich, that we are not being punished for our disobedience, but rather when persecution comes, not if, it is because how dare you continue to proclaim the gospel? I think that's what I really want people to see in all of this. But I, th I think there was something you wanted to say. Go ahead, bud, brother. Well, um, we're getting close to the point of most of this. But I will like to clarify that, like recreation, when it comes to engaging the culture and politics, the amount of time, money, and effort that you as an individual Christian put into it, I think, to a certain degree, is a matter of conscience. Mm -hmm. But are we devoting our efforts to proclaiming the gospel and wanting to see people saved, or are we spending time, money, and resources to further an agenda, because Christians are not to be political pundits. We're to be a light shining amidst the crooked and dark generation. And even with the right motives, we still have to be careful, because there's a ditch we can fall into. Matthew Henry wrote, spiritual pride is the most dangerous of all kinds of pride. A great evil of the sins, professors, is the dishonor done to God and religion by their not living according to their profession. Basically, your words should match your profession of faith. Mm -hmm. and, and this was part of Matthew Henry's commentary on Romans 2.24, where it's wrote, where it is in the Bible, for it is written, for as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Spiritual pride oftentimes is a cause of that. Um, we, we think we're right, and more times than not, Christian conservatism can exhibit a form of self-righteousness because it seems to be saying, I'm right because I'm moral and you're not, instead of, this is what God's Word says, this is what I live by. And honestly, this is, and I'm, this is not directed at any individual, this is just my overall impression when it comes to the United States in general as it applies to professing Christians. Now, the key word being professing Christians. And honestly, I think the, the truth is that most would be completely happy with an appearance of godliness on the surface, and they truly don't care about the eternal condition of a society or individuals. As long as things appear nice and moral, they don't really care what is done in private. Rather, they would rather people go back in the closet and stay quiet and be out of mind and out of sight, basically, as long as I don't have to see or hear about your sin, I don't care what you do. And as Christians, as people saved by the gospel, through the gospel, 
for the glory of Christ, our greatest desire above anything else should be to see other people come to a saving grace in Christ because everything on this world will pass away. The only thing that will last is a person's salvation. And we have to go into the world with the attitude knowing that these people are dead in trespasses and sin. They're blinding. They're blinded by darkness. They act like they do because honestly, they don't know any better. We have to go into these environments with pity and compassion and prayer and asking the Lord to open these hearts so they'll understand, praying to the Lord to bless them and grant them the gift of salvation through the proclamation of the gospel. No political party, no political motivations, no political angles, no laws passed will ever grant someone eternal salvation. That's only through the Son, Jesus Christ. And as Christians, that has to be our primary focus because that is the primary message in the entirety of the Bible is the progressive revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was given, and the brothers around him and the sisters were given the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of cultural development or cultural change or seeing a society become moral. As a Christian, if all you want is to see a society become moral, you're not truly living in the spirit. You're living in the flesh because all you're concerned about is the maternal, the material, what's going on right here, right now. The only thing that will change people's behavior, their outlook, the only thing that will transform a person's life is the Word of God, and it is the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelt through the gift of salvation by Jesus Christ through him alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And I'll let you have it back now for a little <laughs> bit, brother. Absolutely. No, I, I thank you, brother. And, that, and that, I hope, is what we're hammering back to everybody is, I think there is there is a risk. I and mean, We said this back in, in 2016, back when we were, both of us were not real keen on, on Donald Trump as the candidate for president. Now, I, I will confess that over the four, four years that he served as president, my attitude toward him changed. But one of the things that I, I know we said on this program is that if you think electing Trump was going to solve the issues that we were facing that had, that had come to fruition under Obama, you were so, sorely mistaken. And I, I think that was proven true. You know, nothing about the sinful issues of this nation were resolved through the election of that particular candidate. And in the same vein, I do believe, and Rich, I think you, you did uh, quite succinctly put it, there is a sense probably on evangelicalism as a whole. I won't say this of all the people who tend to listen to this program because I think their their attitude is a bit more biblically refined. But there, within evangelicalism as a whole, those that are within the, let's say, culturally conservative side of things, there tends to be an attitude, if we just have the right candidates, if we just have genuine conservatives in office, if we can just get the Supreme Court under our control, and, um, and we can get these things the way we think they should be done, we can kind of restore the golden age of America. And there is a sense in which I think some people view that as 
you know, as, as something that's like a Christian mandate. We need to just get back to a conservative position and then we can get rid of all of these issues. We can make these things go back where they belong. And if, you know, go, and, and, you know, kind of the conservative mantra, I don't care what you do behind closed doors, but don't put it in my face and don't teach it to my kids. That's kind of the attitude right now. There are a lot of people who are looking at the fruit, the bad fruit of a culture that is, in, is steeped neck deep in sin and saying, if we can just get rid of the rotten fruit, that will be the the problem will be solved. The issue isn't the rotten fruit; it's the core. It's the it's the root itself. It's the sinfulness that the people of this nation are steeped in. They are not redeemed. They are acting out uh, what their natural inclinations are. And I've often said that what we see going on right now, when you see that vile picture of the high school teacher who has a prosthetic bosom, and if you haven't seen it, please don't go looking for it. It looks terrible. It's it, nightmare-inducing. But when you see that and people think, oh, you need to just leave that guy alone, that's he's being his authentic self, The that's the rotten fruit. Okay, that's the, that, that's, that's the God's <laughs> hand of restraint being pulled back. That's evidence of Romans 1, that God has given a nation over to a debased mind. And so... The issue isn't of the simple, simply voting Republican and or voting conservative, and that's going to redeem things. And I know, again, many of the people that we interact with, people that follow us or, or, or we follow them on social media, a lot of folks are not just arguing simply that. I understand that. But I think evangelicalism on a whole, those who are fall within the more po politically conservative thing, uh, side of things, tend to view it that way. And so we as Christians, our message, when we talk about engaging the culture, shouldn't just be addressing the rotten fruit. It shouldn't be just, we're going to make laws so that you can't show this rotten fruit. It can't be, hey, we're going to get out all the people in these areas and that will get rid of the rotten fruit. Yes, there are practical things that we can do. I mean, just a simple thing. You want to see uh, terrible things and uh, end in the schools, all the nonsense that's being taught. Ah, good way to do that is you know, having people engaged in, you know, you know, people who are uh, have a biblical worldview and are conservative politically engaged in, in, and running for school boards. That's a practical thing that you can do personally. I, as a Christian, say get your kids out of school, homeschool them. That's what you should be doing, but that's a different issue. Uh, but my point is, is that that can that can remove the presentation of rotten fruit. But what changes the root? What changes the source? What what is it that we need to be most engaged in to address that issue? Well, we don't do it for that issue, but what we do is we preach the gospel, uh, you know, call people to repentance and faith in Christ, disciple believers, and then they go out and they do likewise. And then when they engage the culture, they're doing from a gospel-centered position. And when they object to public displays of rotten fruit is because, not because it's offensive to me on the surface, but because it's an offense to God. And so therefore, as 
John the Baptist said to Herod, you can't have that woman. She's not your wife. She's your brother's wife. Why was he calling him out? He was calling him out because he was in violation of God's law. He was sinning against God. And he did so publicly because he was a public leader doing a public thing. And so Christians engage the culture. We engage politicians. We do like John MacArthur did and say, what you're doing is a sin. It's a rebellion against God. Repent. So we can, call, we can be engaged in culture. We can be engaged in politics. But it is with the goal of the proclamation and gospel in mind. And I think, Rich, you're absolutely right. I think there are many within evangelicalism as a whole, not everybody that listens to this program, but evangelicalism as a whole, who would be quite content if we had a Republican president in the White House, we had, like I say, a Ron, uh, uh, Ron DeSantis in the White House, we had a conservative Supreme Court, the Republicans were in charge of, the, uh, of both houses of Congress, and they would say, Golden Age is back. And they would be less concerned about the things of God at that point, because God clearly saved us. America's on the right path, and that's that's not that's that's not what we do. That's not what we're engaged to do. That's not what we're called to, and it's certainly how not how we should engage. And I think we need to have a much deeper motivation and a much more robust practice when we're engaging the culture. So, go ahead, brother. Sorry. Oh, okay, I, I wanted to make sure you had time <laughs> to finish your thought there, but now we're getting to the meat of the topic and start to begin to close tonight's discussion. You mentioned listeners of this show on social media. Now, I don't know exactly everyone that follows us on social media. I don't know for sure who listens to this program and who doesn't, but I know some that do because they comment that they do. And the, the commentary I'm about to provide is in general. It's not aimed at any one individual, even though I've seen individuals that follow me on my Twitter account be guilty of the following. Now, first and foremost, this next segment is what got me the most during the study and research for this week's episode, because this was the primary thing that I've been guilty of. So I'm pointing the finger at myself right now, literally. I'm hitting myself in my chest with my finger. I'm pointing at me. But it also applies to much of what I've seen over the last couple of weeks on social media. And while observing social media and reading comments and reading different postings and threads, I've seen professing Christians I consider true brethren both brothers and sisters, and even some individuals a lot of us look to as leaders, use phrases and comments calling different individuals, whether they are a politician or someone in media or, in general, someone that disagrees with what we're saying. I've witnessed far too many call other people idiot, stupid, fool. I've seen people mocking Biden and other elected officials, not only mocking what they say, but mocking their appearance, mocking their health, and mocking their actions. And I know more times than I can count, I've told my wife, well, at some point they deserve to be mocked because of the way they're acting. 
that was wrong. I should never have thought that way. And part of the problem is this whole cowboy Christian mentality that we seem to be adopting and starting to embrace within American evangelicalism. The problem is it doesn't honor or glorify Christ, his word, or the gospel. In fact, in fact, it makes allowances for the flesh. And, you know, it might seem cool and pretty neat to, you know, high-five, fist bump, and arm pump over phrases taken out of context like obey God, defy tyrants. That is not walking in the spirit of the, walking in the spirit, but that's walking in the flesh. And for clarification, John Knox, who is known for that saying, wasn't talking about a secular government, but he was talking about and addressing the Roman Catholic Church's ungodly dictates to the country. So that's something we need to keep in mind. That goes back to what, when Jesus was addressing the religious leaders of Jerusalem, and he called them whitewashed walls, and the other ways that Christ described what they were doing. In the context of that saying by John Knox, he was addressing it, addressing it towards the religious religious establishment of his day. It was not directed towards a government, but towards the religious leaders of his day. And going on from that, it, it's been even worse seeing pastors and others talking about submitting to the authority of the local church with one hand, and on the other hand, they're basically encouraging Christians to disobey the commands of Scripture about submitting to the authorities in society and even committing sin by mocking and reviling the authorities God has put in place over us. And I saw one user go as far as to comment about John MacArthur's letter to Governor Newsom was applauding the letter and saying, this is what we need to do. And then in the very next sentence, talk about, well, he should have invoked imprecatory prayers against Newsom. How, as a Christian, can you want to see someone saved and see them condemned at the same time? That is not what Scripture teaches us. That is not walking according to the Spirit. You know who used to do that? Paul Crouch used to do that on TBN back during the 80s and 90s. He would call for imprecatory prayers against like President Clinton and some other liberal politicians. You know, We're called to pray for our leader's salvation. And that doesn't include asking God to strike them dead or bring harm or punishment down on them. Because if they're not granted salvation, they will be punished for eternity in hell right along with Satan. Our last thing, our last hope should be some see somebody struck down dead and go to hell. That is revenge. That is walking in the flesh. That is not walking in the spirit of Christ. And if if our listeners take nothing else away from tonight's show, the following last portion of this is what I hope that they remember. We have to remember the way we fight the battle matters because the word of God matters most. We cannot respond in kind if the meanest, vilest, most nastiest pro-homosexual, pro-abortion individual throws slurs and, and angry words at us. The Bible is specific about how we are to respond. And I've seen more times than not over the last month or so, people talking about we're supposed to be salt in this world. They forget the grace part of that. We're supposed to be salt and light, meaning we're supposed to be, 
show grace, we're supposed to conduct ourselves in a way that honors Christ. And by calling people names and calling them idiots and fools, we are committing murder in the heart. And before I go any further, brother, you want to add to that? I, I, not much that I can say that I think that you haven't already said. I think there is, in some cases, a genuine desire on the part of Christians who adopt that kind of obey God, defy tyrants. They, there, I, I think there can be a good way to look at that and a bad way to look at that. And if we look at it from the perspective of like we saw with the COVID issues, going back to that, where we're going to defy those who have told us we cannot do what God has commanded us to do. Of course, that that if that's your view, if that's what you're looking at, I, I, I don't have an issue with it because it's kind of plays back to what Knox's comment was. He was talking about the Catholic Church, which was telling the uh, you know the, the the governments what to do and and therefore persecuting you know the uh, the Christian Church. And so if you're looking at it from that perspective, I, I have no issue with it. There is a danger, a haughtiness that can come with that, though, which is we, we see a government so steeped in uh, sin, so steeped in anti-Christian sentiment, so steeped in the hatred of God that it promotes as virtue, as we see with, for example, Gavin Newsom. Um, I think somebody else, uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmire, is she the one? Uh, yeah, she's the one that supposedly was going to be kidna kidnapped. She also posted something about how abortion is an essential uh, health care issue. When you see it so so steeped in vile, putrid sin, and then turning its eyes against the church, as Newsom did, to say, I'm going to take your word and I'm going to corrupt it for this. There can be a sense where we get there that it, we can go from righteous indignation on the part of God and His Word to I'm really just angry with you. I don't like you, and you're a vile person, and I don't have to obey you, even if you're in government. There is a danger. I'm not saying a lot of people do this, I'm not saying that every person does this. I'm just saying that's a danger where that attitude of obey God, defy tyrants, or whatever phrasing you're wanting to choose to use. Um, there is a danger and a risk there where you can go to a, a, a haughtiness and an arrogance to where it's now we are, as you said, speaking in an ungodly way about them. And, and like you, I'm guilty of it. There have been things that I've said, and, and when I see something so foul, so vile, that I have responded in kind because I'm angry at what they say have said or done. Is there a place for imprecatory prayers? Yeah. I don't think it's to be done publicly. Um, is there a place for calling out what they've said is vile and, and hateful of God? Yes. Do I respond with that kind of, uh, well, because you've done that, I can respond that same way. I mean, there are, that's a political maneuver. I've seen conservatives do that. Well, they started it. So we're going to finish it that way. Well, that's foolishness. We don't do that. We don't honor God by adopting the tactics of, of our opponents. And so therefore, I think what you see in, say, uh, going back to MacArthur's letter, it is standing firm, it is defying a tyrant, and yet it is say, doing so in such a way publicly 
that it draws back to the primary issue, the gospel message. So I think that's about the only thing I can add to that, brother. Well, I'd like to point out and remind people of Romans thirteen seven: Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And we don't want to admit this, but that last portion, honor to whom honor is owed, that even means secular officials who are dead in their sin, because we have to remember the historical context of when the New Testament was written. People think things in America are bad and they're going to get worse. Well, they are going to get worse. But even at this point, they are not nearly as bad and corrupt and immorality running rampant as it was during the time that these scriptures in the New Testament were written. The era in which Paul wrote the epistles was under Roman rule. It was under the emperor. There were people worshiping every type of Greek Roman god there is to know about and acting and behaving in ways that even the most vilest homosexual drag queen show stories we hear about still do not hold a candle to what they faced in that era and in that age. Um, Matthew Henry did a really good commentary on Romans 13, 7. I'm not going to read that because we're starting to run long. I'm going to skim ahead, though, and I do want to readdress one thing and to expand on what I was saying other earlier about calling people idiots, stupid fools, because this is really what got me this week studying through this that hit home that I had to repent the sins I had to repent of. In Matthew five, twenty one through twenty two, Jesus stated, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, in the old Aramaic writings, the word fool is raka, and that's the only passage in the Bible where that word is used. And in context and in meaning, it was a derogatory expression meaning empty-headed, which was insulting a person a person's stupidity or inferiority. It was an offensive name used to show utter contempt for another person. Jesus warned that the use of such a word to describe someone was tantamount to murder and deserving of the severest punishment of the law. We have to remember that living in the flesh is not just living out actions in the flesh. It is also our heart. It is also our words. So we need to be careful and not respond in a way that the quote-unquote other side responds. Jesus was reviled, and he did not utter a word. All the times Paul was beaten and imprisoned, he did not speak evil against the rulers. He did not call them names. And that's the premise of what walking in the spirit means when it comes to how we deal and interact 
with those around us that are not saved in Christ, because Jesus makes it perfectly clear that a, that a murderous spirit comes from a place of anger. And it's not necessarily the word stupid that's an offense to God. It's the spirit in which we utter it. It's the spirit in which we say it, we think it, we feel it. You know, there's a distinct difference between identifying something someone says and saying, okay, that was an idiotic statement because this is what the Word of God says versus just outright calling that person an idiot. There's a huge distinction in that. We can comment on someone's actions as foolish because this is what the Bible says, this is what they're doing, and their actions are foolish versus calling someone a fool from a place of anger and wanting vengeance because the Lord says vengeance is mine and the Lord will punish the ungodly, the unrighteous and those in sin. And we need to remember Christ said, be angry and do not sin. And sadly within our circles, biblical Christians, I see so many denounce emotionalism when it comes to worship and, and church services but they're led by emotionalism when it comes to the political arena. And I let I see so many letting fear and anger and the and the idol of freedom controlling them instead of being controlled and constrained by the spirit and and replying and responding in a biblical way versus out of flesh and out of emotion. You know, we we've talked before about the emotional driven church and what we see going on within the church today, but yet so many of us turn right around and reply and respond to those around us out of a place of emotion instead of coming from a place of biblical truth. Um, I'll let you take it for here for just a moment, brother. <laughs> no problem. I absolutely agree. How we, what we say and how we engage, I mean, if our hearts were not st steeped in the Word of God, constraining us to speak in a way that is reflective of Christ and not using the Scriptures where we see the hard talk and the hard speech be a reason for you know giving so we can continue to do that. And I think there are people that do that. Um, just by way of example, I saw Michelle Leslie engaging about foul language you know this separate issue but I'll give you an example and she had written an article on it and this individual comes back being very critical saying you know there are you need to be able to reach people where they're at this is how some people talk they're not going to respond if you don't talk this way and she's giving biblical responses to what our speech should look like and this guy is just utterly disregarding her because he wants to be able to have the ability to use foul language. And so he's looking for that justification. And sadly, sometimes we can do that even using the scriptures. And so when we say, well, Jesus called, uh, you know, the Pharisees whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Or uh, called, tell Herod that fox, you know, he calls him the fox, you know, using hard language, you know. So there, there's a place for that. Yes, there is. But it should not be the totality or the norm. Because there are exceptions and there are places where it is necessary to have hard language, it doesn't mean it is the 
norm for how we should speak or how we deal with these issues. And like you said, Rich, the idea of engaging in rhetoric where we engage in name calling or character assassination or something like that is certainly not how we are called to engage the culture. That is certainly not a gospel-centered approach. And of course, you know, then we're, now we're going to hear, oh, the tone police, which I got accused of just this week. Um, I won't go into the details of that, but <laughs> I got quote tweeted by somebody who's a, who runs a uh, social media, I guess, uh, uh, journalistic type site. And their treatment of another Christian was, look, I get they disagreed with the guy, but to, to say, well, and if you folks, by the way, act the way we saw him act and we didn't like that, you're going to get the same kind of treatment that, you know, uh, we have, a, we, and it's like, okay, well, hey, with all due respect to you, not that it matters probably to you, I'm not going to follow your account anymore. This is, this is not a Christian behavior. And I got called everything but a son of God by this by this account. Um, because there's that sense of we want to... I mean, we turn our guns on each other sometimes. That's bad enough. But then we turn around and do it to the world and we say, well, this is just uh, holding them accountable. This is just calling them what they are. This is just exposing what they are. Um, I don't think you know that when Scripture constrains us to say, you know, say that which is upbuilding to our brethren and that nothing unwholesome should come from our mouths. I think those are the things it has in view. And when, when Christ says, when you call someone a fool or an idiot, and I mean, you're, you're engaging in name calling. It's one thing to say, you know, this is the definition of a fool. What you see happening here, this is what the scriptures would refer to as a fool. Uh, for example, what the fool says that there in his heart there is no God. So you're engaging in, in biblical exegesis and you're explaining this and you're showing, dem demonstrating what someone is doing as opposed to the fool says in his heart there is no God. So <laughs> every atheist is a fool. <laughs> you know, um, now you just gave yourself a reason for name calling. Okay. Um, and when we do that in our engagements with culture, what are we doing? I think we're just gratifying our flesh. We want to be able to say something unkind. And it's not that you know we can engage in you know in, in taking hard stances. We can we can step up and say scripture is clear. If you are, for example, a person, and I'm gonna say this as clear as day, if you believe that you should mute uh, children. Children should be allowed to mutilate their bodies because they're massively confused in the head about what they are when they look in the mirror. You are engaged in child abuse. That's biblical truth. Because what did Christ say? Anyone who causes these one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better... For a millstone to be hung about his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Yeah, I can take a hard stance. I can take an unyielding stance. I can tell the culture, how dare you do this to a child? 
these precious creations of God, who Christ himself said, we must come to him as little children with that sense of trust, that, uh, you know, that sense of this person is to whom I must tightly cling. And you want to destroy that. I'm going to say to you, repent. What you have done is put yourself in God's crosshairs. The judgment that is about to come upon you, it will be swift and severe and eternal. Repent. How dare you do this to a child? I can do that. I can say to, you know, to political leaders, you are encouraging this. You are you you are sanctif- or, or, excuse me, you are making this legal you are making this a a some sort of sanctified virtue and you are you are condemning the church and every other person who has spoken against you turn from this repent i can tell people do not vote for this type of individual you will be complicit upon this uh, for this sin i can tell candidates don't you dare make that a law don't you dare make this legal don't you dare encourage this get out of office I'm going to have you, we're going to call to have you recalled if you do this. I can preach this and I can say, repent because you are standing in God's judgment for this vile, disgusting sin against these children. I can do that. I can call for political candidates to be put into office that will, con- that will rescind that. But why? Because this is a sin against the Lord. And that's where I can stand firmly. And guess what I never said in any of that? Never called him a fool, never called him an idiot, never called for some sort of imprecatory prayer. Didn't do any of that. We can engage the culture with the truth and we can say, you will stand before God and he will condemn you for every one of these sins if you do not repent now. Rich, I think that's absolutely vital that we understand that I think is the key to this. That we are engaging in such a way that our practice and our speech is reflects so gospel-centered. And I'm not talking about being the tone police. I I got some of my favorite people that I listen to on the internet are Virgil Walker and Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison. Those guys got no problem saying hard truth. But you will never see them trying to get engaged in some sort of vile rhetoric just to call someone a name or to be able to stir up anger and discontent. But they will say, this is the truth. This is what they're teaching. This is what the Word of God says. Some of my favorite people when when it comes to taking those firm kind of stances. And another good example was what we saw John MacArthur do. Just said that a little while ago. A few times now, actually. Unyielding. Firm. Unapologetic. Go ahead. You nailed it. You nailed it, though, because you gave an example of a biblical response versus just someone posting. I've seen someone post something similar to what you were saying on another subject saying this is what they're teaching, this is why it's wrong. And I've seen some individuals I know I would consider a brother only reply, well, they're an idiot or they're stupid. 
making that comment geared towards the individual and not addressing the issue itself and explaining from scripture why it's wrong. But as we close out, I want to share a few scripture verses with our listeners, and I'm not going to go through everything I had in my notes. I posted a thing on Twitter with all of the different scripture references that I went to for tonight's episode, but a few really jump out I want to share. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Romans 12, 9 through 21, but I'm just going to touch on a couple of the portions of that. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That verse goes on to say, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Show hospitality. And this is the key portion as it applies to our discussion. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who would weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. First Peter 3, nine. do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. First Peter 3.17, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. First um, Peter 2.13-17 and verses 20-23. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, li but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And finally, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 4, 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Um, and one of the links is the one by John MacArthur, the Christian's response to government. In that transcript of that sermon, he goes pretty in-depth into the historical context of when the epistles and all the New Testament writings were laid down on paper, and when they were read and shared, it goes in explaining about what it was like for the Jews living under the Roman Empire. Empire. I'm sorry, my mouth is aside <laughs> and it wants to go to sleep. And it goes further in, into what it was like when Paul wrote his letters. I would encourage our listeners to, if you don't go to another link, go to that one and get some really good perspective into the age and into the society in which the scriptures were written, especially the New Testament. But as I close out, I want people to think and consider what occupies your mind. Is it seeing social reform? Is it seeing the government turned more to a conservative mindset? Is it seeing the country become more moral in its thinking and in its actions? Or is your, is your mind occupied about seeing the souls of lost men and women saved? What occupies that mind? What occupies your mind? Is your mind set more on seeing earthly change, seeing the government change, seeing people become a more moral people living in a more moral society? Or is your mind consumed by wanting to see God glorified and Christ's word proclaimed and the gospel proclaimed and dead people being brought to life and hearts changed from stone to flesh? What occupies your mind? What occupies the thoughts? What occupies your time on social media? Are you on there trying to find a battle with a pithy 140-character comeback to? Or are you using everything God has blessed us with to glorify him and proclaim his biblical way of salvation? It's just things I want our listeners to consider and think about and really and truly go through and read and listen to the links provided in these show notes because they expand and go so much deeper than the time that we have together discussing these things. We've gone on now nearly two hours. But ultimately, we need to be concerned not about the external life of people, but the internal soul of the lost. And that letter by John MacArthur exemplified all of this in an open letter to Governor Newsom and the, these sermons by John MacArthur were from the mid-80s and early 90s. Here we are in 2022, and John MacArthur is still doing what he preached 30, year, 30 or so years ago. That, to me, says, says, reveals volumes about John MacArthur and his walk with Christ, because after all this amount of time, he's still in the pers- mindset and perspective that the primary duty of Christians is proclaim the biblical way of salvation, that everything else here on earth will pass away, but the word of God will never fade out, will never pass away, and Christ is our only hope. Politicians are not our hope. 
Political leaders are not our hope. Religious coalitions and lobbyists are not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone and his word alone, by faith, through grace, alone. And that's the all I have to say tonight, my friend. Uh, absolutely. Amen, amen, amen. Folks, our hope in all of this was not to not to downplay the the fact that you have the ability in this world while there's opportunity to speak into the culture to impact your local communities to be involved in the political process to have a voice you have every right to do that there's nothing in scripture that prevents you and there's nothing that uh, that's a sin in doing so provided that's not an an idol that you begin to worship and I say that as simply as I can. I'm not trying to do the typical gospel coalition, uh, you know, ERLC. Well, you've made a, an idol out of this stuff, you know, because you, you could damage your Christian witness if you vote for this kind of person. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Just simply saying that it that politics can become an idol. I think we all recognize that. Our hope in this is just to remind us that look even if you if we were to get what we were hoping for let's just say that we achieve some sort of christian culture it's tenuous at best all it takes is one generation and it's gone what lasts what endures is the gospel why is it that the apostles under the reign of the romans under constant fear of persecution from the Jews who were imprisoned and beaten and stoned and left for death. How could they continue to worship under such conditions? Because they looked to the eternal promises of Christ. It was a proclamation of the gospel, the discipleship of believers. Those eternal promises that God was doing his work that endured it is a great and wonderful thing when God allows a culture to prosper because it's not full on in rebellion against him. And it allows the Christians the freedom to do what we are called to do. That's a beautiful thing. And we should desire it. And we should be willing to stand up and say, we need to preserve that, and we need to return it back to what it once was. Nothing wrong with that. But why? Why are we doing it? That's, that's my concern, the why. What is the purpose for that? And it should be that I love the Lord so much that I so desire to reflect His glory and His majesty in my obedience in all areas of my life and it so impacts and so flows out of who I am that I can't help but desire to, to see these things be changed so that I may proclaim the gospel freely. That's what it should be. And as my brother Rich has made a, a, just a powerful argument, then because of that, my practice should reflect that. What I do, what I say, how I address it, the, how I go to engage should reflect that. And I shouldn't be finding ways to justify 
worldly behavior, fleshly driven behavior, because, hey, I can do that because blank. That's what we're hoping to, to encourage you. Be so gospel-centered, so Christ-centered, so filled with the scriptures that everything you're, you do and how you do it is an extension of that. If you are so consumed with the latest political trend, the latest um, way of justifying how we use the scriptures to establish this kind of community, but what is not coming from that is a desire to see souls saved, I think you got an issue. And there's a ditch you're leaning toward. And I'm not saying all the Christians who are arguing for this are doing that. I'm just saying there that is a ditch we can easily jump into. And we can easily become the type of people that on a politically conservative side do what the progressives do. Grab the Bible verses and say, this justifies my position. I'm not saying we're doing that. I'm not saying we're there yet. I'm saying there's a strong possibility, and I think in some cases, as some of the things Rich pointed out, we're seeing some of that begin to happen. Our language, our rhetoric, our behavior, our attitudes are leaning in the direction of dangerously misusing the Word of God, even though we may have great intentions in doing so. We just have to be careful with that. Let me give you one other encouragement, something that was... I came across my eyes today as I was studying the scriptures. Oftentimes, and, and I can say this as somebody who sits behind a microphone and I won't say numbers, but a number of people listen. We can be, I want to do what those guys are doing. I want to be making that kind of influence. I want to have that kind of reach. Or you can be somebody who says, I'm not doing what they're doing. Man, I've got this and this and this. I can't get out there and be doing you know, street evangelism or preaching the gospel on a street corner. Man, I can't be doing... I'm not a writer. I can't write articles. Man, I can't get up behind a pulpit and preach. Man, I've got my hands full with this and that. And, 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 and man, I've got this issue going on in my family. I barely make an ends meet. How, how am I supposed to serve God? Let me give you some encouragement. Because if you are serving the Lord where he has planted you, you're doing what you've been called to do. You don't have to be. This whole, this whole episode was about how we engage culture. Some of you might be going, I, I can't get involved in that stuff. I mean, I've got two kids at home I'm trying to take care of. My husband's uh, you know, been injured on the job. We're barely able to make ends meet. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad who's... who's uh, you know, sons are, 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 you know, are, my wife is occupied taking care of them. I'm working two jobs just to, to pay the bills. I, I can't be getting involved in a culture war. How am I supposed to serve the Lord? Let me give you an encouragement. I want you to grab your Bible. The book, book, book of First Chronicles is full of lists of names. Your first nine chapters is like straight genealogy. You, you, you think trying to get through all the begats in Genesis was, is interesting. <laughs> Go through the first nine chapters of 1 Chronicles. But I want to give you some encouragement. Open it to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. I accidentally typed 1 Chronicles 20 on my post this morning. Sorry, guys, but you, you, you get the point. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. David is preparing the temple, 
and then he hands it to Solomon, who's going, or he's preparing things for the temple to be built. He's done all these things to kind of get them ready. But Solomon will be the one who does that. And Solomon's charged with that text. And then in the following chapters, you see name after name after name, many of which will never be seen in Scripture again. The divisions of, you know, the offices of the Levites and how they were broken out by family name. The duties that they had, people by name. The divisions of the Levites, the various names by that, the number and service of the musicians and their divisions. And again, names you will see maybe once in all of Scripture. Gatekeepers, keepers of treasure, people who did work outside the temple, commanders of the armies, chiefs, officers of the tribes, various overseers, counselors, name after name after name that you only see maybe once in Scripture. Why is that important? Man, I read all these names. I have no idea why I read them. This is what I took away from that today. Those names are the only time that many of those names will ever have been seen in Scripture. Every one of them had a job. Some guy, his job was to keep this gate at the temple. That was his job. Now, you think maybe within the tribe of Levi, here's this one guy working a gate. His name's been mentioned in the scripture once. You think maybe he's like, man, I wish I could be a high priest. I wish I could be part of that line. I could get a chance to serve in the temple. Why is his name in scripture? Because God put him there. God gave him a job. You will be a gatekeeper at this gate. And his name is in scripture until Christ returns. God sees you. God sees your service. Don't. Don't feel like, I'm not engaged in this stuff. I, I can't articulate this stuff. I don't know how. Serve where you are planted. We just had, you know, somebody mentioned in response to this about an, an, an older lady at their church, and I forget what he says she does, but what an what a inspiration he is, she is to him. We just had a, a, a wonderful saint of ours go on into glory. She came every week. Her husband wheeled her in in her wheelchair. She played saxophone. I'm not kidding. She played the sax. She played saxophone as part of uh, the, the folks that would come up and, and, and take us through the singing of hymns and, 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 and worship songs. Wonderful saint of God. She's gone into glory. Almost nobody in the world is going to know who she was except the family of this church and, and her own family and friends. She served where she was. We have people that serve in, we've got a little kitchen area, and they just try to make sure the coffee's ready, and they try to keep the dishes clean, and nobody in the world is going to know these wonderful saints, these godly women who do these things. Are they engaged in the culture war? Are they, are, are they on the front lines making sure these things happen? They're serving where God planted them. God knows their name. And we know their names because they go to our church. <laughs> Serve where you're planted.
If you are, if your whole existence right now is wrapped around taking care of this, this person in your home that is, is ill, and you're pouring your life into them, and you're serving the Lord faithfully every day, serve where you're planted, God sees you. If you are a pastor and you stand before the Lord at the pulpit and you proclaim his word to his people, serve where you're planted, but serve. Don't, don't think too high of yourself. Don't think you're something that's hot and, you know, and, and it, 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 God needs you there. And we don't, remember, no, God doesn't need any of us. We just faithfully serve wherever we are. Some will be more visible. Some will be more publicly engaged. Some of us just, maybe the only thing I can do is go online and I see a, a conversation and I share the gospel or I share a link to a video to the gospel or something. You served. You faithfully served. Don't let this conversation pull you in a direction where you think it's got to be about this. I've got to be right here engaged in this. You serve where you're planted. Maybe you'll be in that spot. Maybe that's where God wants you. Maybe you're just a faithful mom raising her kids and you're pouring your heart into reading the Bible to them every day and you're teaching them to obey the, all that Christ has commanded. Hey, guess what? That's the most powerful countercultural thing you can do. Raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Just something I want, we want to leave you with. That, that hit me today. I couldn't help it. It was like, it doesn't matter what your platform is. Don't how big, how small. It doesn't matter whether anybody in this world knows your name. You serve God. He knows your name. How amazing is that? Those names were known by God. Your names are written in his book if you're in Christ. He sees you. Keep serving. Folks, we thank you for spending time with us this week. This can be one of those one of those topics that <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of response we'll get from some of y'all. Um, if you if you disagree with us, I got no problem with that. Just be respectful. That's all I'm asking. We saw a lot of disrespectful engagement over the last week or so on social media, and that was it was on all sides. I don't y'all need to take a breath and chill. We don't need to create circular firing squads anymore. All right, guys, stop it. Um, that's really heartbreaking to watch. But if you're gonna in, if you're gonna interact, if you're gonna respond to us, hey, just let's be respectful. Let's love one another through this. If you agree with us, great. I, we appreciate it. If you engage others with this respect, kindness, you can stand firm, but love one another. Be building up of one another. I don't know what responses we'll all get. Some of you may not like what we said and we kept that. That's cool. It's all right. But let's interact as brethren. Let's not kill and bite and devour one another, okay? Thank you for spending time with us this week. You guys are amazing. Some of you are really amazing. And we just can't help but thank you for being part of what we do. 
God bless you guys. Serve well this week. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. God bless you guys. Good night. We'll see you next time. Thank you.